We hope you enjoy this message from Matt Bruce, recorded at Equippers Church Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be with you tonight. So good to see so many familiar faces, warm faces again. It's been awesome to be back. But what's even better is seeing all the fresh faces in the room. So awesome to have you with us tonight. If it's your first time, I hope you feel welcome. I hope you enjoy your time with us here this evening. It's a privilege to have you with us. And I just pray Jesus does something amazing in your life. Um, so, so great to have you with us. Big welcome this morning. I mean, this evening. Well, um, there was a young boy who spent a lot of time uh, out in the wilderness and in the open air. And he, uh, every day uh, he would uh, go about his daily duties. He would do whatever he needed to do and it would get to the end of the day and the, the sun would get to a point where he could tell it was about to drop and he had about an hour to go set up his little camp for the evening, and he would, he would go to this place, and he'd go, yeah, this place looks all right, and as the sun slipped behind the hills, he'd, he'd potter around in the dark to, to set up his camp, and once his camp was set up, he would, he would lie back against the log, and he'd just think about, oh, what a wonderful day I've had. Thank you, God. Such a great day today, and he would think about all the things that he'd accomplished in the day, and part of his duties during the day was that he had to gather a few things in order to prepare for the night. And, and some of those things were things like wood. So he'd pick up sticks along the way and he'd pick up some wood along the way. And another thing was he, he needed something to eat. So he would look for something to eat and every now and again he'd see a small animal and he'd get out a sling and he'd, he'd kill the animal and sling it over his back and then take it to his camp for the night. And he would, he would prepare all these things and he'd get to his camp and he would, he would set some rocks up for a fire pit and he'd light his, his fire on, and he'd be like, oh, that's nice, nice and warm. And he would uh, get a few twigs, snap them off the tree, and he'd get, make them into a nice Y shape, and one either side of the fire, and then he'd get his stick, and he'd skewer the animal, and he'd put it on the natural rotisserie and, and cook up his food while he sat and contemplated how the day was going. Anyways, he loved to play a game at night, and he would sit there, and he'd be like, ah, oh, man, all by myself, what game should I play? Let's play Guess the Silhouette. And he would sit there at night and he would look out into the, the darkness, just the this, this starlit sky, and he would look into this, this place and he'd go, hmm, I wonder what silhouette that is. He'd go, I think it's a tree. A tree, a tree. That's what I think it is, you know. Maybe, oh, what did I see in the daylight? Mm, is that a rock? I reckon it's a rock. What a cool game to play. Anyways, he'd have to wait for the next morning to actually just find out if he was correct in his guesses. But anyway, after he'd played his game for a while, he'd get a little bored and go, I think I'll just go to sleep. So he would count his sheep uh, to go off to sleep. One sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four, five sheep, six sheep. And uh, when he got to 100 sheep, he would sigh and he would drift off to sleep. And just lie down against that log. Log is a pillow, not the most comfy, but it would do. Anyways, so he'd be asleep at night, and the thing was is that it was funny how when he closed his eyes, it was like the, the night noises just got a thousand times louder. It was like he lost one sense, and, he, and he, he found that when he closed his eyes, his ears became more attuned to the noises of the night, and all of a sudden, the cricket that was way off in the distance now feels like it's right on his face and in his ear, and then like the, the animal noises in the background feel like they're rumbling straight past his campsite, 
But he would try to sleep, and he wouldn't always hit a deep sleep, but he'd always be a little bit conscious of what was happening in the background. And then all of a, sometimes he'd be sleeping, and he'd be finally hit that deep sleep, and all of a sudden his body would jolt. And he'd come to awake as a, a lion's roar just hit the night sky at 114 decibels. And he would jolt up and he would like freak out. And he's like, oh my gosh, there's a lion around my camp and I'm freaking out right now. And what he'd do is he'd reach for the logs he'd prepared earlier and he'd chuck them on the fire and he would get this fire cranking and he'd fan it into flame. And, and while he was doing that, he would, he would get his voice prepared and he would start worshiping and singing as loud as he could. And he would just stand and they're like, ah, God. And, and he would do it until the roar of his fire and the roar from his voice drowned out the roar of the lion. And upon that moment when he realized that he got the peace back in his mind and he roared loud enough to drown, drown out the fear that was and the intimidation that was coming at him, once he got to that stage, he would lie back down and go to sleep. And every time, he was just a shepherd boy. His name was David. And every time, he didn't hear wake up shepherd, he heard wake up warrior. Every time that the lion roared, he looked and protected his sheep. And he counted his sheep and he was, he was adamant that he was going to protect them, no matter how scary this thing sounded in the distance. And tonight, I want to talk to you a message called wake up warrior. Wake up warrior. The most significant... Um, I love that God speaks. Sometimes we overcomplicate God's voice. And uh, the most significant thing God said to me this year came in a very weird package. Um, so we're coming to Shout Conference, and you've got some expectations of how God's going to speak to you at conference. So I was thinking about all the amazing ways you spoke, uh, spoke to me in the past. I was thinking, oh, he's going to speak to me this way. Anyways, we're in a, we're in a, uh, a gathering, uh, probably a day, well, the day before Shout Conference officially kicked off. And we're between sessions, and between sessions, the guy said, hey, why don't you just turn around to the person next to you and ask them what their full name is? And that was our task, and I was standing next to a guy, Pastor Barry from, uh, from London Church, uh, fantastic man, um, and I said, my name's uh, Matthew Robert Bruce. And he looked at me, and he just said, there's a warrior in you. And he didn't even look at me again. It was sort of like, sit down, and I'm sitting there like, I just feel like I had an encounter with God. And I'm feeling a little bit weird because I'm like, something sat up in me when he said that. And all it was was a stupid name game. But he's like, man, there's a warrior in you. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? And a week before that, I just picked up a book called Giant Killers. And it was like, ah, okay, he's speaking to me. And then I'm like, then... I'm going to see a victory comes out from Elevation Worship. And everything's speaking to me to say, hey, come on, wake up, warrior. Wake up, warrior. So, yeah, crazy package. Don't, don't diminish how God can speak to you. It doesn't always need to be crazy big. Sometimes it's as simple as when you turn around and play a silly name game, he turns up. So the point of all, you don't really need a warrior unless there's a battle, right? It's like you're a warrior, but we're in 50 years of peace. It's like, yeah, but I'm trading. Uh, you, you don't really need a warrior unless there's a battle. And I realize that there's, there's far much more of a battle going on than I sometimes realize. And I was reflecting on my time here in Dunedin. We've been away for six months now. And I realized there were days that I walked out my front door, but I failed to show up. It's like I, I, I put on everything that I was meant to put on, but I didn't actually show up. 
I just played the part, but I didn't come and take the giants that were actually for me to take. And uh, it was a very surreal moment to realize, hey, I don't, wanna, I don't just want to play this thing. I want to do this thing. And I don't want to just look after my freedom. I want to go after other people's freedom. So giants still stand today in a real surreal moment this year when a couple of weeks ago I saw in the news that that girl passed away at the party. And all my time in Red Frogs, all those years of going in and saying, hey, I'm going to try to take this giant. And to see that I didn't manage to take it fully and the result of that. And it's just like my heart broke again. I'm like, man, I got to wake up. Got to wake up, warrior. So giants still stand. In the Bible, when um, Joshua went into the promised land with the Israelites in the Old Testament, he, had a, he was commissioned to, um, to take out all the inhabitants in the promised land, so to clear it. And um, in Joshua 11, 21 to 22, it says, At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, from Hebron, Debir, and Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory. Only in Gaza, Gath, Ashdod did any survive. So the Anakites are like the giants. And... Um, so he, Joshua does what he's told. He takes everyone out of his territory, but he leaves giants in the surrounding area. And, um, and then what happens is 400 years later, David has to step on a battlefield to take the giant Goliath of Gath. And it was like the giant, Joshua did enough to make his home safe, to make his life comfortable, but he left giants on the periphery that 400 years later, the Israelites had to step in and defeat and I've realized this year that there's far more generational importance to our walk here on earth than we realize. And, and we need to take things because otherwise we leave giants. And I'm realizing that in our family line, it's like there's giants that need taking. There's hereditary patterns and someone's got to stand and say, I'm going to take this giant down. Yeah, I wonder if sometimes in life we, we go on a battle enough for our freedom, but not enough to actually bring the freedom for other people. Tonight I want to talk about why giants are hard to beat, <laughs> or can be hard to beat. They shouldn't be as hard as we probably make it out. Um, we're going to read 1 Samuel 17. <laughs> I'm going to try to get through it all because I feel like God might speak to you through different points. I'm going to preach on a few, but I feel like God wants to speak to some people um, tonight. So stay with me. This could be a long reading. Say, I'm interested. Awesome. <laughs> There's a story of David and Goliath. If you haven't even grown up in church, you may have heard this analogy of David and Goliath, the underdog battle. Um, and this is the story that it comes from. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkoth in Judah. Sorry if I pronounced names wrong. They pitched camp at Ephes Dimon between Sukkoth and Ezekiah. So when the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the, of the Philistine camp. He was, his height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves, and a bronze, a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. 
Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I, oh, am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, on hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of the Ephrite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn, firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinab, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Thank you, David, for a good name. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Israelites came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take the ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out into its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brother how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Great, tax free. Um, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the, few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one else lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed in his own tunic, put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. He fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried, to, tried walking around because he is not used to them. I cannot go on these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, 
put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was no more than a little boy glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give you, give the carcass, carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you all into our hands. I'm going to stop next. My voice is tiring. We got to, the, we got to a good part. He defeats him, by the way, guys. By the way. So the question is, why are giants hard to beat? And I believe it's because the fight is occurring on two battlefields. There's actually two battlefields as displayed in this story. And um, there's two responses. There's the response of the, the Israelite army, and then there's the response of David. And in 1 Sam 17 to 11, we can see the response of the Israelite army. It says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Whenever this giant came out and spoke out his words, and it terrified them. They freaked out. They're like, man, I don't, I don't know how to do this thing. And it happened for 40 days, for 40 days. But then David comes in, and in 1 Samuel 17, 23, it says, uh, it says this, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. First time, and David responded. Same taunt, says the usual defiance, but David heard something different, or he had a different response to what he was hearing than this Israelite army. You see, first, you have to defeat the fear in your mind caused by what you're hearing. If you want to take a giant, you've got to defeat the fear uh, of what you're hearing in your mind. I found that the devil loves to get in your mind. <laughs> There's a thing called a civil war, and uh, civil wars are when two, well, you're in one nation and, and there's two groups of people in that nation and they fight against one another. It's like they're fighting internally. And, and what happens in a civil war is that you, you pretty much need to put all your troops into the effort of fighting the civil war. You'd never actually think about sending your troops overseas to fight a battle overseas because you need to win the war at home. And the thing is that the devil loves to start civil wars in us in our minds because he doesn't want us actually stepping onto the actual arena. He wants us to put all our energy, all our effort into fighting in here because if we fight in here and we never get onto the arena, he wins. He wins. So he throws this thing called a civil war at us, but um, David responds differently. He responds differently. So David hears the exact same point that Israelite army have been hearing and battling in their mind every day for 40 days, but upon hearing the taunt for the first time, David chooses a different response. David responds in his usual way. David knows what he needs to overcome the mind and step onto the actual arena. You see, David pays no attention to the civil war the devil's trying to start. He knows the devil's tactic is to keep him fighting the civil war in his mind so that he won't step onto the actual arena 
And he knows the devil does this because the moment he puts a foot on the arena, God wins. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The problem is, is that the war that is occurring in our mind is very real. You'll know every day there's voices that are showing up. It says in their word that uh, for 40 days he turned up morning and night. I've found personally that my most vulnerable times are first thing in the morning and late at night. Because they're the moments I'm alone and God loves to speak to you when you're in isolation. He loves to put words in you. He loves to disarm you. He loves to put doubt in you. And he does so every morning and every night. It's like, can I have a day off? No. <laughs> I'm gonna get at you morning and night. I'm gonna do it for 40 days. You know, 40 days. So it's a very real, real feeling. So I don't want to diminish the war that's happening upstairs. Yeah. I just really, I really dislike his timing, eh? Every day, twice, like, well, more than twice a day. So first, you have to defeat the fear in your mind caused by what you're hearing. Second, you have to push past the projected fear of the people around you. There's people around you who are carrying their own insecurities, their own fears, their own battles, and so often their fear gets projected onto you. Who are you to step forward? I've been disabled for 40 years by what he's been saying in my head. Can you not see how trained I am, how I'm a skilled warrior, yet the, the voice and, and what I'm hearing from Goliath has shut me down, so why, why would you go? You're an idiot. Step back, step back. And what happens is there's two things. The brothers try to shut down David's voice try to shut down his voice. And the second is that Saul tries to make him question who he is and whether he's enough. So in 1 Samuel 17, 28 to uh, 29, this is the passage where it says, uh, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, classic older brother move, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What a good moment. I love when our insecurities project onto other people. What was the brother doing? He was watching the battle for 40 days. Turns up, <laughs> runs away. His, his father sends him to go check on his brother and say, hey, how's the battle going? I'm sure David could walk back and say, they're doing nothing. <laughs> All I saw was retreat. I don't know if we'll call it battling. And then they had the audacity to tell me that I've come to watch. I've come to watch. Are you serious? He's like, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? Can't I even speak? You see, if the enemy can shut down your voice, he can shut down your praise and worship. But David says, hey, that's the most important thing I got, so can't I speak? David knows to win the battle in your mind, you need to have a voice to worship. See, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be quiet. It's, that's my very weapon. You got little, you got twigs, but that's my weapon, so I'm, not, I'm just gonna go with worship. Second moment is where Saul tries to make him question who he is and whether he's enough. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, 33, it says, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. I like that because David's in his youth. <laughs> so pretty inexperienced. But, um, and, then, and then Saul goes and he, and he tries to give him all his armory. <laughs> he's like, well, if you're gonna go, you might wanna take this because Saul's projecting his fear again. He's like, well, I didn't want to show up in my armor because I thought I'd get defeated, so at least let me give you my armor because then you might get killed slower. 
but he, he projects something onto him. And I think the devil loves to convince us that we need to be something to beat something. That we've got to be something to beat something. But I'm finding that the only thing I really need to be is a worshiper of God. Because if I can get to worship, then the battle shifts from me to God. And God doesn't really lose. If I could just get out the way, and I get out the way through worship, then something begins to shift in me. So, uh, so yeah, Saul goes, you need to be something to beat him. And, and David says, I don't need to be anything. I got my worship, man. And, uh, and he fans into flame who he is. Fans into flame who he is. He's like, man, God's created me. Took down lions. Look at me go. But he's just like, man, I've got all I need. I was going to fan it into flame. Going to fan it into flame. See, where did, David, where did David learn the way to win the mind? Where did he learn what I call wooden worship? He learned it all those nights he spent alone in the wilderness, staving off the fear and intimidation of the lions that roared at him. His response when he was in that wilderness and every night he would make his fire and every night he, he would sit there in the dark and the noises of the night would come alive and every now and again he'd wake to this lion roar and his response was always wooden worship. Where's the wood? I'm gonna fan that fire into flame. Where's my worship? I'm gonna roar a little louder. So what does he do in this instance? He just goes, man, I'm gonna go for my wooden worship. I'm gonna fan into flame who I am. So get your armor out of here, man. I'm fanning to flame who I am. And, and, and brother, I'm not, going to be quiet because worship's my weapon. I'm going at him with wood and worship. He, over, he, he learned to overcome the fear in his mind. And as he overcame the battle in his mind, it meant that he could go against Goliath when he heard the taunts. It meant he wasn't dismayed and terrified. I'm sure Goliath didn't have 120 decibel roar. <laughs> Fanned into flame who he was, and he walked onto the field with his sling, and he walked onto the field with his worship. In verse 45 uh, is the moment where I read about, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have to fight. So hey, just so you know, you might be seeing a little boy, but God's kind of coming out with me. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. By the way, Goliath, he's gonna do it through me. That's gonna be real embarrassing for you. <laughs> Bad move, Goliath. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He's gone with worship. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. Just in case you forgot, Goliath, you're coming against God. And he will give all of you into our hands. It goes with worship. It goes with worship. Wood and worship. I think, I think the problem today, I've been reflecting a lot on where we're at as a generation, where we're at societally. And I think the problem is that our generation so often struggles to get on the actual battlefield because we can't get past the giant in our mind. I think we live in a world that Anxiety and depression and fear and all mental health has crept in so much. And I, I think there's, there's definitely a natural element, don't get me wrong, but there's also a spiritual element. There's some huge giants in our world that need to go down, if you ask me. Just watch the news for five minutes and I can see why people get depressed. There's some giants that need taking down and we're not just here to play a service. We're not just here to, to play cute. We're not just here to, to create a comfortable home. We're here to take giants. We're here to set up the next generation. 
So I believe the greatest giant of our time is mental health. It's mental health. And what's mental health? It's a civil war. It's a civil war that disables you. And there's low level, there's high level. I think everyone will experience the intimidation of the voices in your head. It's low level, just trying to shut you down. There's also a really severe level that can end up hospitalizing people. Mental health is about the mind. And he's, I, I feel like he's trying to keep us in our mind and the battle in our mind because he knows the power of when we step onto the actual arena. The funny thing about that battle is I'm sure there were hundreds, if not thousands of warriors there who had equal skill or better skill than David. So therefore that tells me that winning is not skill set, but mindset. So you're looking at yourself, you go, I don't know if I've got what it takes right now. I would say if you, if you can win the battle in your mind, you don't need to worry about your skill set. Because it's about your mindset. Because when you get the mindset right, you realize the battle's the Lord's. And you stop showing up going, I ain't got enough today. Because you realize God's on your side. You see, I believe the devil predominantly does not suppress the church through controlling large arenas, but through deceiving the mind of individuals. We each sit here today and I know we've all got our battles. Man, I've got my insecurities. I was benched for like seven months from preaching and I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get back on the horse. (laughs) And then our season coming up and it's like, we're gonna be leading a church and there's a real opportunity to let the devil speak into that space. And he's telling me all these things that I need to be and all these things that I need to fulfill. But really, I just gotta come back to wood and worship. God wouldn't promote me if there's not something in me. So I'm just gonna fan it into flame and I'm gonna worship God. I love that message um, that you guys live streamed into from Pastor Neil Smith and he preached about magnifying the Lord and I was like, that kind of stole my message. But it was good. Because it's so true, when we magnify the Lord, things start to shift. So God tries, I mean, the devil tries to shut us down because we're all a God solution. I love that thought. When God saw a problem in the world, he created you. <laughs> we, we're all God solutions. It's like, I don't know why I'm here. It's like, oh, you're a God solution. What do you mean? There's a problem in the world that God saw and he created you. He created you and you're gonna solve it when you learn to get beyond the battle in the mind. So I think it's time we start to open our mouths and talk to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. There was a, um, I had a great lecturer when I did sports psychology and uh, he talks about the inner voice and he said, um, for especially sports people and they've all got these doubts and fears and things like that. And he said, if, um, if, if a friend spoke to you like you speak to yourself, you would punch the lights out of them. <laughs> we put up with so much. We walk in the day, Matt, you're useless. Matt, you haven't got this. If, if, if my best mate was standing beside me saying that, I would have it at him, man. I would not let him say those words, but for some reason, because it's coming from my mind and my thoughts, I allow it. But we need to start declaring Scripture over ourselves. We need to start talking to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. I love it. Like, I've just been trying to get a bit more Scripture in me. Like, Romans 8, 6, For the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
So on the day, I'm like, when he's trying to get him, my mind, I'm like, I'm not going to let this, let my flesh lead this. I'm going to let the spirit lead it. And all of a sudden, the peace starts to come in. And it's like, you just got to start finding some scriptures that you can declare over yourself and start worshiping and start declaring some things so that you drown out the roar of those voices because he's not going to stop speaking. So we better start worshiping. Oh. So why is, it, why is it hard to defeat a giant? Because the battle is occurring on two battlefields. Sometimes we're so busy fighting in here that we forget to stand out there. And oh man, I don't want to go through life and just fight this thing. I want to get out there and do something. I want the church to be glorious. I want the church to go forward. I want to see Jesus' name elevated. I think I'm learning a new boldness as, as he says to me, wake up, warrior. Wake up, warrior. And I'm like, it takes so much. He's like, no, just wooden worship. Just wooden worship. Where did David really win the battle of Goliath? He won in his mind. How did he win? He won with the thing he learned in the wilderness. I think so often we talk about isolation as a bad thing, and it is, but there's actually a training ground in isolation as well. And David could only take Goliath in the public domain because he learned to, to quell the fear and intimidation in the private domain. I found that uh, the greater, uh, what is it? The greater the, greater the intimacy with God, the, the lesser the intimidation of man. And it's like, if I can get more intimate with God, I've found that in my day, I can walk out there and be less intimidated by man. And I've learned as well to put my desperation on God. There's a guy who once said, there's no one attracted into the world, or there's no one in the world attracted to desperation except for God. <laughs> I like that. If you're looking for a girl, you're not going for the desperate girl. <laughs> if you're looking for the guy, if you're picking up any desperation, you're like, I wonder why they're desperate. Like, you know, it's like, no one's really, it's like, Abby's not attracted to my desperation. It's like the only, the only person attracted to my desperation is God. He loves it. He's like, come, come with me, you know. And it's like, as we learn to put our desperation on God, we all of a sudden don't put it on humans. And then it's all of a sudden we walk out there a bit more confidently because we realize God's dealing with some stuff. So I think we need to go after, go after those moments of intimacy with God. And as we do that, we're going to walk out taller and stronger. Yeah. I want to win the battle in my mind because this world desperately needs giants taken down. When I said my name, Matthew Robert Bruce, there's a warrior in you. I was like, who? Are you sure? It's like, nah, there is. There's a warrior. And as I think about going into a, to a church, I don't want to go in and play church. I want to go in and make an impact. There's going to be things that need to get taken down, and I want to be brave enough to stand there and go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. The revelation I had was that when David tried to, when he first tried to move the Ark of the Covenant, they didn't do it in the way that God had said, and they tried to wheel it in, into town, uh, and, and ends up to someone leading, being killed. And the second time he does some research and he learns, hey, you got to carry it. You got to chuck it on your shoulders. And God really spoke to me. He said, the presence of God is never going to wheel into anything. You got to pick it up and carry it. 
you got to embrace the weight of that thing and get it there. It's like the presence of God is not going to wheel into your marriage. It's not going to wheel into your finances. It's not going to wheel into your kids. It's not going to wheel into your workplace. You've got to learn to pick it up and carry it. And, and you've got to walk in with confidence and say, I'm going to do the drudgery to get this thing in here because it's going to transform something. If we get good at wood and worship, God will win. If we could make it to the actual battlefield, we would see victory for the battle belongs to the Lord. I love that song where it's just like, I'm not backing down from any giants. I'm just like, if I'm feeling a bit weak and we hit that line, I'm like, I'm not backing. <laughs> I just climb into it. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And I love that song as well. Raise a hallelujah. And it says, my weapon is my melody. And everyone's like, oh, that's just an artistic line. I'm like, no, it's true. Yeah. Worship is my weapon. I'm going at him. Come on, I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. If I could get the keys up, that would be amazing. When I win in the mind, God wins in the world. I just feel like coming back here, I was really gutted because I felt like Joshua 400 years later sitting in heaven when David had to face up to Goliath. And I felt like I was walking back in and I felt like, man, I didn't take some giants. And I didn't feel any condemnation, but something rose in me that says, I don't wanna leave a place again with giants still standing. I wanna set something up generationally. I, I wanna go on to battle. I gotta deal with some things. I gotta come before God and humble myself because I don't want my kids to walk into something that I never dealt with. I don't want people to inherit something that I wouldn't think they would thrive in. I don't want Goliath showing up 400 years later and taking out my family members because when they hurt, I'm still gonna hurt. So I'm like, man, I wanna be someone who takes giants. I wanna be someone who takes giants. And uh, I think the truth is that we're all created to take giants. We're all created to take giants. And sometimes it's just taking the giants that are in your family. And uh, I think... Uh, I know right now in this room there's people who are sitting there and are doubting what God's placed in you. You've got the enemy's voice louder than I could even speak on the mic running through your head. But but God wants to come in and say, yeah, I got you. I got you. If, if, if you would just open your mouth and magnify me and worship me, I, I, I know something will shift in your world. I know something will shift. And I think we're all sitting here waiting for the next person to do it because we're held by that fear and insecurity. But it's like, man, it's you. You're the solution. You're the God-created solution. There's somewhere where you need to win in your world and God will be magnified and glorified through it. Could you stand with me tonight? Um, yeah, so I think mental health is the biggest uh, giant in our time. It really is the biggest giant. And I know that in Dunedin, we were always facing intimidation. And, uh, and it's real. The intimidation is real um, for sure. But I realize I got to start aligning myself with what God's saying. And I got to stop looking to fit into society because I'm born to change it. And um, I just really believe there's game changers in the room tonight. And I feel like uh, I feel like you'll know you're a game changer because the devil's voice has been very loud recently. 
I feel like you, Lee, you've been a game changer because there's been things coming against you and, and it's been trying to take you out and it's been trying to diminish what God created in you. It's been trying to suppress things. It's trying to say you're common when actually you're holy, you're set apart. And uh, I really feel like uh, tonight God wants to uh, raise warriors. I feel like there's been something, there's something woken up in the room. Something woken up in the room that just says, man, I'm born for more. There's an adventure out there and I don't want to sit on the sidelines anymore. I don't just want to put on my uniform and walk out and take the taunts of the enemy for 12 hours a day and then go home. I want to hear the taunt once and I want to go after him because the battle's the Lord. So um, what should we do tonight, guys? What should we do? I, I think... Uh, Let's just say the carpet is open. <laughs> uh, the altar is open tonight if you want to respond. But I don't think it's really a matter of someone coming and praying with you. I think it's a matter of you just coming before God and letting wooden worship take place. When something comes out of your mouth tonight, I don't think it's about anyone else saying anything over you. I think it's about God speaking over you and just worship coming out your mouth and fanning into flame who you are. I don't think you need anyone to prophesy anything more over you. I think the word that God's already spoken in you is enough if you fan it into flame. So I really feel like tonight just... We'll open this up, and if you if you want to respond tonight, and if you if you feel like something's waking up in you, and you want to win the battle in the mind, you can come forward, um, and we're just going to lift up maybe that song, yeah, and that'll be amazing, and yeah, we'll do that. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippers Church, Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com.